Deuteronomy chapter 6 is where we're going to be. So, you know, one of the love languages that my wife and I both have, we're extreme extroverts. You know, it's just kind of a reality. We have three kids that are really extroverted as well. And so our social calendar is always slammed. And one of the passions that my wife and I share is we love to, to host people. We love having people in our home for, for meals. We love hosting house churches. When people are coming into Nashville to visit, we love having them to come stay with us. It's just something that we love to do. We like inviting people into the personal space of our life and doing life together in that context. But any of you that have ever hosted somebody before, you know that there's kind of a double-edged sword. There's a part of hosting that is a blessing, right? Because you get to be with people and you get to open up your home. And then there's a part of being a host that's a burden. You know, you have to, to get your house ready and you have to get the food cooked and you have to prepare a place for them to be and they kind of step on your personal space at times. And so hosting comes with both this blessing and this burden. And over the last 12 years that Sydney and I have been married, every time we're getting ready to host somebody, it's typically the same thing. She'll come to me and she'll say, hey, tonight we're having people over at 6.30. I need you to get home from work sooner. Here's the things I need you to be responsible for. Here's the things I'm gonna be responsible for. And together we will have this house somewhat presentable for them to come and, and be with us tonight. And for the last 12 years that we've been married, she's been giving me that list. And for the last 12 years, I've been ignoring that list. And so she will give me the list and I will take about 10 seconds and I'll start doing what she asked me to do. You know, she, and I'll think, I don't know if this is really the best approach. And I don't say it that way, but I feel that, you know. And it's like, Sydney, I know you asked me to vacuum the living room, but I think what you really wanted me to do is to, to rearrange the shed. Or I, I know you wanted me to clean the kitchen, but I think this would be a good time to clean out some of those boxes in the garage. And she'll come home, or I'll get home, and she'll see the house as it was when she left. And it always does the same thing. She'll look at me and she'll say, I know you're trying to be helpful. And then, like, with love and grace and the wrath of an angry wife, like, <laughs> she'll look at me and she'll go, but you're not being helpful. Like, what, what are you doing? Like, this is not very helpful. What? And then she and I will have a moment of intense fellowship or a fight, an argument, you know, and, and, and we'll kind of work it out. And here's, here's one of the things that I've discovered over the 12 years that we've been married. I've learned this over and over and over, that as a husband... Often my intentions are good, but my priorities are not. That my intentions are good, but my pri priorities are not. That what I was trying to do was not as helpful as what I should have done. What I wanted to do was not as big of a blessing as what I was asked to do. And I've realized this has not just crept into my life and being as a husband. It certainly infected the way that I treat Jesus in the way that I walk with God. And that so often in my walk with God, I have had good intentions, but I've had misplaced priorities. That I give my best attention to things that matter less, and I give, my, um, I give less attention to the things that matter most, and God steps into that space in my life, and he's constantly challenging me to reevaluate. Because I think if we're not careful, especially as American Christians, we tend to deceive ourselves into thinking that God is more interested in our intentions than he is in our obedience. That we deceive ourselves into thinking that, that God is more interested in what we meant to do than in what we actually did. And the reality is one day we're all gonna stand before God, and I'm not saying that like in a scary way, it's just a real way. Like we'll, we'll stand before God and it's not gonna be a conversation about what you wanted to do or what you meant to do, but about what you did in Christ. 
and to really allow the, the truth of that reality to set in that sometimes there's this huge gap between what we were asked to do by Jesus and what it is that we actually do with Jesus. And this is the heart of the conversation that we're entering into this morning. There's this moment in Matthew chapter 22 towards the end of Jesus' earthly ministry. A young guy comes up to Jesus and he says, Jesus, what is it that God is really after? What's the most important thing? And it's one of those moments in Jesus' ministry where he just speaks with such clarity. There's no parables. There's no riddles. He doesn't give a, a question to answer a question. He looks at the guy, puts his finger in the, his proverbial chest and says, if you want to know what God prioritizes, it's this. And he quotes Deuteronomy chapter 6, the passage that we're going to look at this morning towards the end of Moses' journey. And this is the big question that I want to challenge you to wrestle with this morning as we're looking at the Word and as we're thinking through this together. Here's the question. Do the things that matter most to God matter most to you? Do the things that matter most to God really in your real life matter most to you? It's the most important thing to God the most important thing to you, to us as a church family. And that's what we're going to wrestle with in Deuteronomy chapter 6. So here's the cliff notes. You know, for the last 10 weeks, we've been on this journey that has covered about 40 years of the Israelites' history. It started in Exodus chapter 1, and it goes through the end of Deuteronomy. And over the last 10 weeks, we've looked at their journey, and it's been in two kind of big phases. The first five weeks of our journey together were all about this picture of a God that wanted to get his people out of slavery, and so in Exodus chapter one, he comes to a group of real people living in a real place and a real moment in human history who are really being oppressed by the people of Egypt. And God swoops down into that moment through the life of a guy named Moses. And for the first five weeks, we got this beautiful picture of a God that is not only willing to deliver, but is able to deliver. He wants to get them out. And for the first five weeks, we talked about this beautiful truth that God loves to get his people out of the things that oppress us and keep us down spiritually. But then you get to Exodus 14 in week number five. And there's kind of this crossing over moment, quite literally. Moses raises his staff, the Red Sea is parted, the people cross through, and all of a sudden, the journey was no longer about a God that wanted to get the people out, but it was about a God that wanted to grow the people up into their destiny, grow them up into the thing that God had made them for. And so over the last five weeks, we've talked about the ways in which God goes about growing us up into our destiny. We looked at the way he used the unexpected place of the wilderness. You know, none of the Israelites wanted to go from Egypt into the wilderness, and yet that was the place that God chose to grow them up in. We looked at the unconventional provision, you know, the way that he provided with bread from heaven and water from a rock. Not the way they wanted to be provided for, but it was the way that God was growing them up. We looked at the way he gave them these unquestionable parameters. He gave them the Ten Commandments and the holiness laws and these codes around their life. And he says, I want to be in covenant friendship with you, but you have to understand how we relate to each other. In the last two weeks, we've looked at how he's given us the undesired reality of punishment at times to grow us up. And I know we don't love talking about this. How many of you woke up this morning and went, God, would you punish me into relationship with you? Like, none of us want to be punished, do we? Like, it's it's not what you long for. We don't put that on T-shirts. We don't put that on coffee mugs. That's not our life statement. But we've seen that over and over in the context of this story, that like a good father... There have been times when God punishes his people because he's not just trying to get them out of slavery, but he's trying to grow them up into their destiny. And you come to Deuteronomy chapter six, and Moses is now an old man. He's at the end of his journey, and he's speaking to a generation that is at the beginning of theirs. And he's gonna preach a sermon so powerful 
that thousands of years later, Jesus would say, if I could sum up the whole heart of God, it's this. And I go, can you imagine saying something so powerful that Jesus Christ says, this is the thing that God is after. And I love, he begins to speak to them about the idea of priority. And that's where we're going this morning. Kind of the last piece that God uses to grow us up is the assessment and the understanding and the engagement of our priorities. So Deuteronomy chapter six, we're gonna start in verse one together. And we're gonna read through it. We're gonna hone in on verses four and five. It's gonna kind of be the, the big idea of the morning. We're gonna start in verses one together. It says, these are the commands and the decrees, the laws that the Lord your God directed me to teach you to observe in the land that you're crossing over to possess. I want you to notice this for just a minute. Moses doesn't say, hey, these are the grand suggestions of God for your life. Hey, these are the things that God would love for you to get around to if your work schedule allows. These are the things that God wants you to do if you can make time for it. He says, no, he says, these are the things that God has commanded. That God has decreed as you're getting ready to enter into the place of promise. Verse two. He says, so that you and your children and your children after them may fear the Lord your God as long as you live by keeping all of his decrees and his commands that I give you so that you may enjoy a long life. So hear Israel and be careful to obey this so that it may go well with you that you may increase greatly in the land flowing with milk and honey just as the Lord, the God of your ancestors promised you. Verse four and five, this is gonna be our big idea for the day. This is what Jesus references in Matthew 22. He says, so hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, and with all of your strength. These commandments that I give you today are to be on your hearts and press them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road, when you lie down and when you get up. Tie them as symbols on your hands, bind them on your foreheads, write them on the door frames of your houses and on your gates. When the Lord your God brings you into the land that he swore to your fathers, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, that he would give you, a land that is large, with flourishing cities that you did not build, houses filled with all kinds of good things that you did not provide, wells that you did not dig, vineyards and olive groves that you did not plant. Then when you eat and you're fully satisfied, be careful that you don't forget the Lord who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. Back to verse four and five, our big idea for the day. He says, so here, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. This is the word of God spoken through Moses to the people that Jesus would come back to and say, hey, if you wanna understand what it is that God is after, if you wanna understand what matters most to God, the priority of God's heart, the priority of God's life, he says is this, to love the Lord your God, all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength. Now, I love this because Moses is gonna speak to the people about their priorities, like what matters most to them. And he's gonna speak to them kind of through three different windows. And I want you to see this in verses four and five. He's gonna speak to them through the window of their life, through the window of their lordship, and through the window of their love. And he's gonna say, if you want to understand and examine what it is that really matters most to you, if you wanna understand the real priority of your life, he says, I wanna invite you to look through the window of life and of lordship and of love. And he starts with this idea of life. Look back at verse four, the way that he begins. I don't know if you write in your Bibles or underline in your Bibles, but you should circle the word here because it's a really important word. He says, hear, O Israel, hear, hear, hear. This is a huge word. The Old Testament, the book of Deuteronomy, when it was originally written, 
It was written and spoken in the Hebrew language. And I don't know if you know anything about Hebrew. It's okay if you don't. The Hebrew language contains 8,000 words. That may seem like a lot of words, but if you put it next to the English language, our English language has 400,000 words. And so in the Hebrew, one word has an ocean full of meaning. Different nuances, different ideas, different depths. And one word very rarely means one thing. And so the word to hear was never used to just talk about your ability to listen. The word hear was not about your listening, it was about your living. To hear meant that you heard it with your ears, that you processed it in your mind, that you brought it into your heart, and then you responded with an action of obedience. I think if Moses was giving the same sermon and he's turning around and he's giving it in English, he'd say something like this, hey, Ethos, pay really close attention. Make sure you're listening right now. Process this when you leave here. Drive it down into your hearts in your house, church, and then make sure you live it out before you come next Sunday. We use sentences to do what they would do with one word. He says, here, to live. Because Moses wasn't just interested in their listening, he was interested in their living. I think it's so important for us because we live in a culture that worships knowledge and devalues obedience. We we love information, but we often mistake information as the gateway to transformation, but it's not. In the kingdom of God, it's information plus application that leads to transformation. And this gives color to the words of Jesus throughout the scriptures. When Jesus will look at his audience and he says, whoever has ears to what? Whoever has ears to hear. He was never just saying, hey, if you can physically hear my voice, you'll be changed. That's not what he's saying. He's using the Hebrew word, speaking to Hebrew people. He says, whoever would take in the words of Jesus into the mind and into the heart and out to the life, he says, you'll experience the friendship with with God that you're meant for. And this is challenging because especially if you grew up in church, a lot of you were trained to listen, but very few of us were trained to live. So a lot of you were taught that the essence of your spirituality was showing up in a place like this on Sunday and listening to a really good sermon or listening to a really mediocre sermon, and then going home and eating the, the lunch that your mother prepared you. But listen, that's never the essence of Christianity. It's not about your listening, it's about your living. And I believe Moses would say, I don't care if you learned Deuteronomy 6 on Sunday if you're not gonna live it out on Monday. Into the heart of what Jesus is after when he says this is the priority of God. And you begin to assess the priority through the window of how you're living. But he doesn't just give us the window of living, he also gives us the window of lordship. This window of lordship, and I don't know if you use that word very often, but we live in a culture that doesn't use the word Lord very much. In fact, when we think of the word Lord, we tend to almost completely um, connect it to the idea of a deity, to Jesus, to God. But during the days of Moses and during the days of Jesus, this idea of lordship was not something that was relegated to religion. It was, it was a word that was used to describe someone or something that had total dominion or total sovereign power over your life because you entered into a relationship with them. And so Moses looks at them and he says, hey, listen, O Israel, live, O Israel. The Lord, your God, the Lord is one. And we hear that, it sounds so redundant, but this is what he's saying to them. He's saying, If you want to enter into the promised land and experience the grace of God's presence, 
You have to enter into a relationship with God where he is in the first place and you are in second place at best. He's gotta be the Lord of your life. In the medieval times, if you were poor and you wanted your family's life to increase, you could go to a lord who owned a property of land. It's where we get our phrase landlord from. And you would go to the lord of the land and you would enter into a relationship with that lord and say, hey, can my family live on your land? Can we build a house? Can we plant vineyards? Can we take care of ourselves here? And in the context of relationship between you and that Lord, sometimes they would let you move onto the land, you'd build your house, you'd raise your kids, you'd plant your vineyards. And here's is, here is the beauty of the language. You knew that everything that happened on that land belonged to the Lord. And so when you would harvest your crops at the end of the season, you'd take the first 10% to the Lord of the land, not as your payment, but as this reminder that everything that grows there is his anyways. The house that you would build with your sweat equity and your money you were constantly reminded that it is his house because you're on his land. And this is at the heart of what Jesus is getting after. It's the heart of what Moses is getting after. He said, you're getting ready to enter in to the destiny that God has awaited for you. But if you want to enjoy the friendship that you are made for, it only comes when you properly relate to God as Lord. And he says, the Lord your God, the Lord is one. And he's not making a Trinitarian statement here, although the Bible is Trinitarian. What he's saying here is he's saying, God alone deserves the first place, the first priority, the first position in your life. That God gets to call the shots in your family, in your finances, in your time, in your sexuality, with your hopes, with your dreams, with your career. That as you enter into relationship with Jesus, when you're baptized, whether or not you knew this, when you went down into the water, it was a declaration of his lordship. And it's a moment where you're saying, everything about me, Lord, is under your reign, your rule, your jurisdiction. And he says, if you want God to grow you up in your priorities, he says, you can see your priorities through the window of your life. You can see the priorities through your window and understanding of lordship. And he says, and you can see the priorities of your life through the window of love. And I love this. He says, it's not just that God is supposed to be first in your life. What's he say in verse five? He says, you were created to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength. Now we live in a culture that has hijacked the idea of love. We think of love and we think of that favorite romantic comedy or you think of that feeling your sophomore year in college when you saw him walking across the quad for the first time or you, you, you think of kind of that rattly uh, feeling, you know, when you know you've fallen in love with someone. But the Hebrew word for love is so much deeper than that. It's not just about your feelings and it's not just about your commitment. This Hebrew word for love, it's literally this picture of total undivided, uncompromising devotion to someone or something. It's this idea that you yield every moment of your life to someone or something that you deem most valuable. And so this young man comes to Jesus and he says, Jesus, what's the most important thing? And Jesus says, read Deuteronomy 6, it's the most important thing. He says, this is it, that you would spend your whole life making sure God is in the driver's seat of your life. And that all of your love and your affection and your commitment and your dedication would go to keeping him there. And I have to wonder what this young man would have thought the first time he heard this. 
Because don't you know there's a part of him that was kind of disappointed that this was Jesus' answer? Because for a young Jewish man, this was not a new idea. In fact, a Jewish man during the days of Jesus, twice a day would quote Deuteronomy 6, 4 through 5. They called it the Shema. It was the most important verse that they had. They would write the Shema, these verses down on a piece of paper. They'd roll it up. They'd put it in a headband and wear it um, uh, on their forehead. They'd put it in a bracelet. They'd put it on their wrist every day. It'd be like you getting this tattooed on your face and, and on your wrist. It was the most common, the most obvious scripture in the Bible. And this guy comes to Jesus, the creator of the universe. He says, what is it that God is after and Jesus looks at him and he essentially says, what God is after is pretty obvious. What God is after is the thing that you already know. But here's what's interesting to me. Isn't it true that just because something is obvious doesn't mean something is easy? Just because something has been learned doesn't mean something has been lived. Just because you have sat through it doesn't mean it has worked through you. And Jesus looks at him and he's going to remind this guy that just because it's obvious doesn't mean that it's easy, doesn't mean that he's lived, lived it out. I remember before Sydney and I got married, we were engaged and we'd go and we'd sit down with couples that had been married for several years and we'd ask them advice on marriage, like tell us everything you know about being married. And honestly, I was always so disappointed by that. You know, we'd eat a good meal and then we'd get to the advice portion and they'd give me the same dumb advice like every time. Like, Dave, keep dating your wife. Dave, be a good communicator. Dave, don't be such an idiot. You know, like, Dave, the same thing. Every person we sat down, same advice. It was obvious. But here's what I learned in the context of a real marriage. Is it may be obvious, but it's not easy to communicate well. Like, it's obvious that I'm supposed to speak well to my wife, but man, sometimes trying to communicate with her clearly is like trying to solve a Rubik's Cube. I can't, I can't figure it out. And just because it's obvious doesn't mean it's easy, right? We know this in our financial lives. I'll save you all the time. You don't have to read the books or go to the conferences. They all say the same thing. If you want to have a good financial life, it's spend less than you make, give well, save well, invest well. Like, that's the essence of almost all financial advice, right? Super obvious. But then you get into your real life with your real budget and your real job and your real crap paycheck and all the real stuff that you experience, and what's obvious is not always easy, is it? When you think about this in the context of your health, I want to get in shape this year. Like, I want to get in great shape. Why'd you laugh? That hurt my feelings. <laughs> Someone over here is like, Dave, you are beyond hope. Like... And we know how to get in shape, don't we? Eat well, exercise more, avoid certain things, sleep right. Like, you know, it's obvious. But just because it's obvious doesn't mean it's easy. And just because you've listened to the advice doesn't mean you've lived the advice. And there's a big difference between learning and living, between listening and living. And one day you and I will stand before God and he's going to be far more interested in our living than our learning. He's going to be far more interested in what our real priorities were than what our desired intentions were. And I'm going to make a dangerous assumption about us as I wrap up the sermon, as we wrap up the series together. I'm going to make a dangerous assumption about you. And I know this isn't true of all of you, but my assumption is if you're here on a Sunday morning, there is some desire in your heart to be closer friends with God. 
that if you're here, there's some longing in your heart to go from just listening to this over and over and over to actually living it out. I know that's not true of all of you, but that's my assumption about you, okay? And so I kind of want to end this morning going, okay, well then how do we move from just listening to living? And I'll just kind of give you a picture from my life, and I want to preface this this way. This is not the gospel. It's not infallible. Um, You know, this is something that God has used in my life. It's not a formula, but it's a framework. And you know, a formula says, this is the way God always works. A framework is a way of saying, this is the way God often works. And so I want to give you a framework for how God has often worked in my life to move me from just listening to something on Sunday to actually trying to live it out. And I'm not perfect. I haven't mastered this by a long shot, but it's a journey that God's been taking me on over the last 20 years. So Cole, you can put this picture up. I'll just give you kind of a snapshot of what this pathway has looked like in my life over and over and over as I've moved from listening to trying to live this out. It typically starts first and foremost with acknowledgement. With acknowledgement. And here's what I mean by this. It's the willingness in our lives to acknowledge that Jesus alone deserves the right and the ability to be Lord. It's this acknowledgement that only Jesus is smart enough and wise enough and kind enough and has the big enough perspective to lead us in the context of our real life. And here's the truth, whether you've wrestled with it or not, every one of us have a Lord in our life. The question is, who is the Lord of your life? You know, for some of you, the Lord of your life is your friend group and their opinion of you. And so every time life goes tough, you get with your friends and you're just working it out. And there are moments when your friends give you advice that contradict the words and the clear teaching of scripture. And what happens when you follow the advice of your friends above the word of God? You are what? You're recognizing and acknowledging lordship. You know, for some of you, this is in the context of your sexuality. I know this is like touchy, but it's like, if we can't talk about this in church, like, where can we talk about this? Like, some of you, in the context of your, your, your relationships, you have these longings and these desires, these things that you've been created with, and culture's telling you how to steward them one way, and your friends are telling you how to steward them one way. And your body's telling you how to screw them one way. And if we're not careful, we end up being like Adam and Eve standing at the tree looking at the fruit going, it looks good. It looks pleasing. But until we acknowledge, Lord, your word and your ways dictate how I steward my sexuality. He's not the Lord. He's just an idea. For some of us, it's in our speech, the way that we talk when we're in front of our friends and then it changes when that one friend's not there and you all go to town on her. For some of us, it's in the context of our thought life. For some of us, it's the way that we use our resources, the way that we work in our jobs. But here's what I found over and over and over is that if we want to experience the presence of God in the context of our promised land, it starts with this acknowledgement that only Jesus can be on the throne of the heart. And I found that as I begin to acknowledge that only Jesus deserves that place, it often leads me to kind of the second place, this idea of access. And this is what's so beautiful. If you haven't heard me say anything else, I hope you hear me say this. This is the difference between self-help and gospel help. 
It's the difference between you picking yourself up by your bootstraps and you laying in the mud of the mess that your own life has created, understanding that Jesus alone is your help. And here's the beauty is that Moses and Jesus don't ask the people to do something on their own. Jesus asks us to do this in his presence, to access the friendship that's been readily made available to us. Do you realize that Christ has died on a cross for every one of your sins? He's risen from the tomb. He loves you more deeply and dearly than you could possibly imagine. And that in the Holy Spirit of God, you have access. You have access to the fullness of heaven in Jesus Christ. I want to speak to those of you that are Christians for just a second. I want you to hear this. Do you realize that one third of the Trinity resides in your physical body? This is the promise of scripture, that a third of heaven's resources are within you and upon you and around you. That it's not your job to go home and say, I've got to love the Lord my God with all my heart, soul, strength. I've got to do this, I've got to do this, I've got to do this. It's no, you have access to the only one that's ever done it. And that Jesus, through his grace and his power, has given you access not just to his life and his teachings, but his presence and his power to help you work this out. And then you have access to Jesus. Then you get to know him as a friend, that he doesn't just have to be a distant idea. He doesn't just have to be the subject of every sermon, but he can literally be someone that you know. There's this acknowledgement, there is this access that often, number three, leads me to this place of assessment. And I had to triple check this morning to make sure I spelled the word assess correctly. Last time I did this, I left an S off the end, true story, and everyone was like, I can't believe you put that on the screen. Um, but it's this place of assessment. And once again, this is something that you do in the context of your community, in the presence of Jesus, where you say, Jesus, would you assess my life? Would you, would you help me understand my real priorities in light of my real life? And for you to sit down with Jesus, you can really do this. I'm not speaking in metaphor here. You can sit down with the Lord. You can talk to the Lord. And you can say, Jesus, what does my calendar reveal about my real priorities? What does my real time reveal about my real priorities? Lord, what does my real bank account reveal about my priorities? Lord, what does my real relationship with the person I'm dating reveal about my priorities? Lord, what does the way that I speak and the way that I think and the way that I act reveal about what matters most to me? Would you take my real life and would you help me to assess who or what is sitting in first position? I remember Sydney helping me do this years ago before we were even married, we were dating, we were part of another church. We were at one of those churches where every week they would pass the collection plate. I don't know if you've ever been to one of those churches, they'd pass the collection plate and I would just pass it on right on by and it'd come my way. And I remember Sydney one time saying to me, she said, Dave, how come you never give? And I'm really getting so offended. I'm like, I do give. And she just called me on it. She's like, I've been, I've been dating you for like almost three years. You almost never give. She's like, I see you give. She's like, but you don't really give. And it was this moment where the Spirit of God just started helping me see my real priorities in the context of my real life. He's using my community, he's using his word, he's using, I thought, okay, Lord, there's an area here where you're still not in charge, I'm still holding on to my ways of doing things. There's this acknowledgement, there is this access, there is this assessment, and then there's always this place of adjustment. This place where you go, okay, God, you know what? You're not there yet, but I want you to be. Lord, would you get there? Would you, would you help me adjust my life in such a way? God, I love Netflix and I love staying up late, but 
I know that I've got to get my day started with you. Would you give me the willpower to turn off the TV, to put away the phone, get to bed earlier, wake up sooner to get in your presence? Lord, I know that my dating relationship is not honoring you and reflecting you in your holiness. So would you help adjust our habits when no one else is around? Lord, I I know the way that I speak and the way that I think and the way that I act don't reveal that you're sitting on the throne of the universe. Would you help me make some adjustments in the way that I think and the way that I speak and the way that I act? Here's what I've seen over and over and over is that this is not just a one-time thing that we do as followers of Jesus. That this is a daily journey when your feet hit the floor in the morning of saying, Jesus, you alone are my Lord. Jesus, I wanna walk today with you as a friend. Jesus, help me assess anything that is competing for my affection for you. And Lord, help me make the adjustments so that I can know you. And I love this because it's at the end of Moses' life and he's speaking to a group of people that are at the beginning of theirs. And he says, you're entering into your destiny. And he says, but if you want to enjoy the fruit of what God is bringing you into, God has got to be the first priority in all of your energy, in all of your heart, in all of your life has to go to keeping them there. And I just want to ask you, not theoretically, but I just want to ask you seriously, is the most important thing to God the most important thing to you? It's the most important thing to Jesus, the most important thing to you. And here's my confession. As I look at Deuteronomy chapter six, my confession to you is I have learned this, but I'm still not fully living this but man, I want to. I really want to. And I look around our church and here's what I see in so many of you. I love you all so much. I know I don't know all of you, but I know so many of you. I love you so much. Here's what I see in you. I see a group of spiritual misfits just like me who haven't figured it all out, but who deep in our hearts, we want to want. Some of you are going, I don't know if I want that sort of pursuit of God. But I want to want it. (laughs) Like, I want to want it. I want that sort of devotion. I want that sort of dedication. So as we come to the end of this journey together through the life of Moses, I just want to ask you, do you want to want? And if so, what's your first step? For some of you, it's that first step of acknowledgement. You've never declared Jesus as Lord. You've never been baptized. You've never been filled with the Holy Spirit. You don't have to wait for anything else. You can do that this morning. In a few minutes, you can come to the respond banner. We'll pray over you. We'd love to baptize you. We'd love to see you filled with the Holy Spirit of God. You can acknowledge Jesus as Lord this morning. For some of you, you've acknowledged Jesus as Lord, but you've forgotten that. And it's just to re-acknowledge, man, Lord, you're supposed to be first. And right now, my wife is first. Or my children are first. You know, I have three boys, and I love my boys. You hear me talk about them all the time. My kids are great, but they make terrible gods. And any time I get them in the place of first priority, everything else goes out of whack. You know, my wife, Sydney, she's amazing. She makes a lousy God. And when she's in the place of first importance, everything else, my ability to love her well is connected to my commitment to put her second. And we don't hear that enough, but it's true. For some of you, it's a step of acknowledgement. For some of you, you've acknowledged Jesus as Lord, but it's time to access him as friend. 
For some of you, it may be about assessment and adjustment, but wherever it is, I just want to challenge you. Will you go beyond listening to learning and to living? Will you step into it? Will you move into it? I love this, Jesus. What's the most important thing? That you know the Lord or God is one and that you'd love him with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. My prayer is that one day we'd stand before Jesus as a church and Jesus would look at us and say, man, you guys missed a lot of things. You missed a lot of things up. But the main thing was the main thing was the main thing. What a gift that'll be together. Let's stand. I want to pray a prayer blessing over you. Pray a prayer blessing over you and then we'll take communion and we'll worship and we'll receive prayer and all of that. Father, I love you so much and I want to love you more. I know that I can only love you as a product, as a response to the fact that you've loved me first, that you yourself are love. And so everything that God I am trying to re, um, reciprocate towards you has come to me first through you. Thank you, Jesus. Father, this morning, for my friends in here that are not Christians, would you awaken their hearts to your beauty, to your grace, to your mercy, to your love? God, would you open up the taste buds of their soul for the goodness of who you are? Would you remove any of the false pictures they may have of you, the false narratives they have of you, that you're an angry, distant, judgmental, harsh sky fairy, and that, God, you'd open up their reality to to who you really are, God, and would you do that this morning? Only you can do that, and I ask you for that gift this morning. Lord, for those that have claimed you as Lord but are struggling to live under your Lordship, would you just give us the grace to each morning just wake up and to begin the journey again of acknowledging and accessing and assessing and adjusting our lives anew. Lord, would you help us to love you more tomorrow than we did today? And on and on and on, would you help us to be people who are totally devoted to you? Come what may. God, would you bless this group uh, this week, everyone that will be serious enough to take a step of obedience, would you bless them with the reward of quick fruit? Would you help them to taste your presence, to know how good you are? Because I'm convinced when they taste how good you are, they'll keep coming back. And that time with you, God, is what keeps bringing us forward in you. Thank you, God, for all that you are, for all that you're doing. Jesus, we love you. Holy Spirit, we love you. So in the name of Jesus, that I pray and give thanks. Amen.